Welcome to the RCI podcast series. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Donna Bond on why a respiratory rate count of 18 is a dangerous joke. And now, here's Donna Bond. I'm a pulmonary clinical nurse specialist at a 700-bed, six-hospital system in Southwest Virginia. I am also one of two nurses on the Respiratory Compromise Institute. The Institute was founded in 2015 by the National Association for Medical Direction of Respiratory Care. There are 12 medical and two nursing organizations that meet to define respiratory compromise and educate healthcare providers to decrease the incidence of respiratory compromise. So as a member, I wanted to educate myself on how nursing could identify and prevent respiratory compromise. So I went to the literature. And what I wanna talk to you about today is what I found. It's so basic, so inexpensive, and yet so valuable. And learning about this concept may save your patient's life. So what is this concept? It is accurately counting respiratory rate. What I found in the literature was not really surprising, but it was disheartening. So I want to share with you what I found. In 2017, Kellett and Sabat sent out a call to action to start monitoring our patients accurately. I looked high and low in the literature and I found this problem dates back to 1957, which was actually before I was born. What I would like to talk to you about today are these objectives and this is what I want you to take away from the presentation. Now here's some memes that I found on social media. So funny, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not really, but absolutely they're true. So what is respiratory compromise? Respiratory compromise is defined as a state of high likelihood of decompression into respiratory insufficiency, respiratory failure or death. But specific actions may prevent or mitigate this, this compensation. This is the state that patients are in before respiratory failure. And if health, we as healthcare providers can intervene, we can make a difference for these patients. And like I keep saying, the simplest, least expensive method to determine respiratory compromise is to monitor the respiratory rate on a regular basis. So why should we monitor respiratory rate? The respiratory system is very sensitive to small changes in the arterial oxygen and carbon dioxide and will alter the respiratory rate. Ventilation is normally controlled by the actions of the central and peripheral chemoceptors and lung receptors. Ventilation is driven both by arterial partial pressure of oxygen and arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide. The body will attempt to correct any alterations by increasing both tidal volume and respiratory rate. Any condition that causes metabolic acidosis, for example, sepsis, will increase tidal volume and respiratory rate. Therefore, this basic observation of respiratory rate is the earliest sign of compensatory action. So what's the literature say? Let's talk some numbers. In 1993, there was an article that talked about an altered respiratory rate is an early marker of respiratory acidosis, the most sensitive indicator of critical illness. The respiratory rate elevates several hours before other vital signs, and an increase of three to five breaths per minute is an early and important sign of respiratory compromise. So as you can tell from the memes, Respiratory rate's not always counted accurately. So why is this, and how long has this been going on? 
So when I started with my literature review, I reviewed 88 articles and I ended up with 40 articles that I would like to talk to you about. From my search, four themes really emerged. How often the respiratory rate is documented, or in this case, not documented. The accuracy of documented respiratory rate. Why accuratory respiratory rate is valued and why healthcare professionals do not perceive it as being valued. And then, after finding that respiratory rate is not documented accurately, how can we improve this? So as far as accuracy, like I mentioned, this article from 1957 in JAMA said, we don't document respiratory rate correctly. This may be because respiratory rate is the last vital sign that is monitored manually by staff. And there may be a feeling by staff that because there's not a machine that records respiratory rate, it must not be important. The count variable is dependent on the amount of time the respiratory rate is counted. Respiratory rate is most accurate when counted a full minute, as opposed to 15 or 30 seconds, which is what we usually do. If you count for 30 seconds, you may be off by one breath. If you count for 15 seconds, you may be off by two breaths. That subtlety difference of three to five respirations can make a difference in your early warning system and in trending respiratory rate. In three separate studies, respiratory rate was found to be documented between 15 and 20 breaths per minute in the majority of patients. Like I said earlier, as far back as 1957, we, we have found this. There are several studies that talk about the conscious decision made by nursing to not assess respiratory rate on all patients. Early warning systems are only as good as the information we put in. And with the system that's used by my hospital, an inaccurate respiratory rate can change the warning by 14 points. So what are the reasons? How many of you wear a watch or have access to a clock in every room that you go into? In 20 2007, it was found that only 68% of nurses still have a watch. They also found a theory, or there's a theory that explains why we're not counting respiratory rates correctly, and it's called the Rationalizations Transgression Grounded Theory. In this theory, nurses compensate, minimalize, or trivialize conflicting issues that cause psychological comfort. The degree of emotional discomfort dictates the strategy to rationalize the behavior. For example, nurses believe by not counting respiratory rate for a full minute, they're using their nursing judgment to prioritize their care to more important things. Also, when you count respiratory rate for a full minute, you have to stand still. And that goes against social norms of nursing of being busy every single minute. Um, they falsely document to be compliant with their organizational policies. Nurses also feel that respiratory rate is not valued, and words that are used to describe this are superfluous, redundant, and wasting valuable time. This next article I'm going to talk about, which is on your screen right now, talks about distribution curves. When any vital sign is documented, it falls on a curve. So there's numbers in the middle, and then it drifts off on both sides. So this study by Badaway found that after observing 36,000 vital signs, the heart rate follows this distribution curve. Respiratory rate, however, is grouped between around 18, 20, and 22 breaths per minute. So there is not a normal distribution of that. Keene found in 2017 that 86% of patients have a respiratory rate of 15 or 20 breaths per minute. 
These are felt to be estimated as opposed to being manually measured. This is similar to a study that I did in my institution, which found the respiratory rate was in that normal range 83% of the time, much more often than what's recorded normal for the heart rate or the blood pressure. So I believe we do not value respiratory rate because we do not feel that respiratory rate adds to our value, so we just don't record it. Several studies found that less than 50% of nurses record respiratory rate each time. So one, it's not recorded. Two, it's not accurate. This is an international problem. I found literature throughout Europe, Asia, and Australia that support that respiratory rate is not documented, much to the detriment of our patients. Summary on my accuracy. We need to count respiratory rate for a full minute whenever doing vital signs. So what else did I find in my search? Well, I found we just don't document it. So not only is it not accurate, we don't document it. So it's the most commonly omitted uh, vital sign. I found nine studies where the authors looked at documented vital signs in different populations. They found that respiratory rates the most commonly omitted that blood pressure pulse and even oxygen saturation is recorded more often. They did find that surgical nurses documented respiratory rate more often than medical nurses. So why is it important to have an accurate respiratory rate? I touched on this earlier, but let's get specific with the literature. Most nurses erroneously believe that a change in the blood pressure, heart rate, rhythm, or oxygen saturation is the early warning sign of impeding disaster. That's wrong. It's respiratory rate. So what's normal respiratory rate? Let's say between 16 and 30. There doesn't seem to be a hard and fast rate, but that's what most health assessment books talk about. So let's look at cardiac patients. Cardiac patients with an abnormal respiratory rate are 53% more likely to experience a cardiac arrest during their hospitalization. And they have a 35% increased risk of death. And over half of cardiac arrests have an abnormal respiratory rate documented. In separate studies, it was found that respiratory rate is the best indicator of cardiac arrest, while blood pressure and heart rate were not uh, predictive of cardiac arrest. In neuro, a change in the respiratory rate is an early sign of increased intracranial pressure. In sepsis, a change in respiratory rate is an absolute indicator of sepsis. An altered respiratory rate may also uh, show an increased hospital mortality, increase the likelihood that the patient will be admitted to the hospital and to the ICU. Most articles that I found during this part of the search were about early warning systems. Accurate respiratory rates are important in allowing artificial intelligence to make, make assessments about our patient's condition. Early warning systems have been used for many years in Europe and Australia. All studies that I looked at included respiratory rate in their early warning system. So here, respiratory rates between 10 and 12 breaths per minute and 24 and 28 breaths per minute have an increased mortality risk of 5%. Respiratory rates between 4 to 8 breaths per minute and 28 to 32 breaths per minute, the mortality risk increases by 10%. And then respiratory rates greater than 36, you have an increased mortality risk of 20%. 
greater than 30, per, 30 respiratory rate has also shown mortality as high as 85% in inpatient cardiac arrest. So noting a change of one or two breaths per minute can be the difference between running a code and preventing a code. So what can we do? You have all this information. Um, there's new technology that can help with inaccurate and undocumented respiratory rate, but technology is not the only solution. We have sensors that can be attached to the patient or to the bed frame that will count respiratory rate. Right now, we have capnography. That's the best technology that we have right now. It has been shown to detect a declining respiratory effort up to two hours before oximetry. A systematic review by LAM in 2017 found that patients with continuous capnography identified 8.6 more respiratory distress events than pulse oximetry, and the odds were six times higher with capnography than oximetry. So while capnography is a technology we have right now, it's rarely used outside of the ICU and the OR. We should consider capnography on all of our patients that receive opioids no matter the route, IV, PO, doesn't matter. So what should we not be relying on? Oximetry. This technology is dependent on many factors and does not me measure ventilation. Carbon dioxide levels will rise when a patient's minute ventilation is low, and then you add supplemental oxygen onto there, the oxygen saturation will remain normal, but you may have a decreased consciousness and an increase in respiratory acidosis. A good article that explains this is by Lynn and Curry, Patient Safety and Surgery, 2011. It explains three patterns of unexpected hospital death. Really opened my eyes to this problem of oximetry with supplemental oxygen. So what do we have available right now? We have clocks with second hands, watches with second hands, we need to do education about the importance of an accurate respiratory rate. And we can also audit our charts and provide feedback when the respiratory rate seems to be inaccurately documented or if it's missing. So what else? Implementation of early warning systems that emphasizes the importance of accurate data has been shown to improve documentation and accuracy of respiratory rate. We also need to identify patients that are at high risk for comprom compromise that's a whole different literature review. And the Respiratory Compromise Institute has worked on a, an instrument that will help us identify those patients. But in summary, any patient receiving opioids of any route, patients with diagnosed or suspected sleep apnea, patients with hypertension, patients that are opioid naive, they are all at high risk for respiratory compromise. So in closing, I would like to leave you with a quote from Kellett and Sabat. The modern hospital culture has moved doctors and nurses away from the bedside and physical exam to computerized nursing stations and reliance on high-tech, low-tech te te touch technology, such as cardiac angiography, CT scans, etc. Indeed, it is probable that few hospitals would keep their accreditation with regulatory bodies if they collected and acted on their laboratory results the same way they collect and act on vital signs. So, in closing, count your respiratory rate for a full minute. It's not a joke. Thank you for watching this.
Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about respiratory compromise, please sign up to receive our newsletters at respiratorycompromise.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash respiratorycompromise. And subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify.